afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. Talking about a difficult subject in, in my life personally, I think a, a lot of people experience this. The stats show that it's some source of challenge and difficulty in really four out of five people's lived experience. It's a topic that's you can't miss right now in the news, whether you are aware of the context or not with all of the uh, buzz around Prince Harry's autobiography, Spare, and goes through over 400 pages of describing a lot of psychic pain around this issue. It's also a topic that uh, the late and great Rabbi, Lord Rabbi Sachs, described as the root of all conflict according at least to the Jewish tradition. Freud would say otherwise. We'll get there. What are we talking about? Sibling rivalry. The tension between siblings. Competition. Jealousy. Anger. Resentment. Sometimes even emotional and physical abuse. Sibling rivalry and tension is often a child's first exposure to trauma. 41%, this is from a recent Institute for Family Studies uh, report, just actually pretty recent last year, 41% of American adults report having been bullied by a sibling. It is the fourth highest Kind of order choice, or I, I'm not choosing my words very well here, but it's one of the, the top five causes for ongoing lifelong trauma in people's uh, kind of work on their own past and working with, um, with behavioral therapy. It's also something that the Jewish tradition has a lot to say about. We're joined tonight by Two past guests of Equal Footing, great guests, known for their candor, relatability, and genuine care for others, shown through talking about their own lived experience, sometimes painful, sometimes confused, confusing, I should say, lived experience. I respect that greatly. It's one of the things I most respect about someone is the willing to, willingness to open up about their own pain and struggles in a way that may help others. In no particular order, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz is on the line. Rabbi Moskowitz is the scholar in residence for trans and queer Jewish studies at Congregation Beit Simchat Torah, which is the world's largest LGBT synagogue. He's a deeply traditional, yet radically progressive advocate for trans rights. He's a vocal ally for LGBTQ inclusivity. Rabbi Moskowitz has received three ultra-Orthodox ordinations while learning in the Mir in Jerusalem and Beit Midrash Gavoha in Lakewood, New Jersey. He's a David Hartman Center Fellow and the author of Textual Activism and a wonderful book called Graceful 
masculinity. He's also the co-editor of Chaver Up, and his new book, Rabbi Moskowitz's new book, Seasonal Resistance, will be out soon. Rabbi Moskowitz, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to introduce you, Rabbi Moskowitz, and our other guest, who's a, a dear friend, for the first time. You guys seem, you have crossed so many paths in life, have so many mutual friends. It's nice that this is a way for you to connect, perhaps formally for the first time. And that's Eliyahu Nash, Eli Nash. Eli, I consider a friend and a mentor. He's an entrepreneur, an activist, a philanthropist. He's the host of a wonderful podcast that I encourage you to check out that I learn from and and try to take lessons from here on Equal Footing called In Search of More, In Search of More. Ellie is the CEO and founder of Jeg and Sons. It's a Miami-based distributor and pioneer in the mobile phone industry. He's also active, as I alluded to, in the not-for-profit world. We actually, uh, that's how we originally met in the educational not-for-profit world, especially related to Jewish and social causes. That's where Ellie's passion is and in his philanthropy. And he's on tonight, as I said, sharing his, his personal journey around sibling tension and rivalry with an open heart. And I should have said that you are both, of course, uh, siblings. <laughs> Rabbi Moskowitz, I understand that you're the eldest of four. You have three younger sisters. And Ellie, you have eight siblings, right? Three brothers and five sisters. I'm not sure exactly where you sit on the spectrum. That's correct. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, three brothers, five sisters, and I'm third. I'm an only brother, older sister. Well, that's a that's an entree into talking a little bit about the stats, and I'm going to hand it over to you guys to talk about this from a this very difficult subject from a from a Torah perspective, from a Jewish wisdom perspective, from a personal experience perspective. But I thought it might be interesting uh, to share some stats with those listening to understand how prevalent this issue is. I don't think this gets an, uh, enough airtime. Uh, there's a tremendous amount, thank goodness, a tremendous amount of attention now paid to child abuse in its various forms, but usually from an adult, almost always that's what the published research is about. Most children under five that experience significant physical abuse for the first time comes from a sibling, not from an adult. And first of all, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, We'll, we'll get to the definition of sibling rivalry in a moment because it does encompass quite a bit from fratricide, the story of Cain and Abel, to what many psychologists feel is healthy tension and, and learning how to, how to compete in a healthy way in the world. Um, but there's a, there's a great, uh, Tim Allen, uh, quote, a comedian and I like. He said, he said, someone asked me, what causes sibling rivalry? Well, having more than one kid. And you know what? The stats bear them out. So, in the Western Hemisphere, in the Western world, 80% of families that have kids have at least two kids. In the world at large, globally, 90-plus percent of families that have kids have at least two kids. And it's, uh, the stats vary depending on how you define uh, sibling rivalry, but as it pertains to uh, bullying and what people as adults qualify when they look back at um, at their childhood as either physical or emotional abuse, well over 50% of younger siblings, middle children and youngest uh, children, um, report having experienced the most extreme form of sibling rivalry or tension um, as a child. It does fade 
by most sociological and psychological uh, studies, accounts into adolescence and even more so in adulthood. And by the time people are 60 years old, uh, only one in five people report still experiencing significant tension with siblings. And that, that line pretty much goes down throughout life. Uh, teenagers report, that have siblings report tensions as high as 80% of cases. And then again, that goes down to 20% of cases over time. And we'll get into in the program how it can affect um, our adult lives as parents and as productive members of society. But let's rewind Rabbi Moskowitz and uh, give our audience a sense of where this begins from a Jewish perspective. How important is sibling rivalry to our tradition? Thank you so much. Uh, very broadly, theologically, if we want to have a relationship with God as a parent, then we need to treat all of God's children like our siblings. And when we look around in the world, uh, um, dehumanization and oppression and marginalization, this is not how we're supposed to treat family. And so really from the very beginning uh, of creation, there has been this space between the ideal of how we are meant to relate to God through our interpersonal relationships and dynamics, where instead of feeling like we can come closer to God by being kind to another, particularly those who are closest to us, our siblings, um, we have, and continue to this day, um, kind of glitched and felt that actually the way in which we can come closer to God is by uh, oppressing and suppressing and uh, through the jealousy and, and the rivalries that you mentioned with others. Um, so from the very beginning, you mentioned uh, with the first set of siblings um, where one literally kills another, really all the way down That's from the Cain, tension. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, like you mentioned. Yeah, thank you. And, um, you know, all the way from... Isaac and Ishmael from Jacob and Esau, uh, Esau, and then, uh, of course, Joseph being literally sold by his brothers uh, down into Egypt. It isn't until Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, that are really the first set of siblings um, that we are told get along, and that's one of the reasons why uh, many have the tradition of blessing their children Friday night. They should be like Menashe and Ephraim, because they are actually the ones, the first ones uh, in the kind of the history of, of the universe as we know it, that, uh, that we're able to, to figure out how to get, get along. And part of it, I think, is because there were so many data points uh, of the negative consequences uh, of uh, that they experienced through their own kind of being brought up in Egypt as a result of their father being sold, uh, that they, I think, finally got the memo that nobody wins uh, and nobody advances by trying to hurt another. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard to find in the Venn diagram a really clear commonality between uh, Lord Rabbi, the late great Lord Rabbi Sachs and the great, Self-describes atheist uh, sociolog- uh, sociologist Mark Ethan Feinberg, who uh, works at Penn State on these types of issues, but both agree, um, as you alluded to with the story of Cain and Abel and the other stories from the Torah, that the sibling rivalry is really the co- arguably the cornerstone of our understanding relationship, our relationship with others. Period in Western society, it's it's right there um, at the beginning. And as you said in one of our pregame discussions, 
it, it isn't for like millennia before we see an example of a, of a really healthy and loving um, sibling relationship. And that brings up, although I, I kind of, that's a little bit of a, a, a trick comment. Um, Ellie, one of the debates in this space is, um, is, is sibling rivalry intention unhealthy? And there's a recent kind of um, movement of looking at it in that direction, but there are many um, that feel, in fact, it's a critical part of growing up um, and being an effective adult and, and, and parent. What is, what has sibling rivalry been like in your life? Has it been healthy or unhealthy? I guess it depends at which point um, you would have asked me that question. Today, it's very healthy. Um, five or so years ago, I would not have given that answer at all. So, you know, it's, um, <laughs> I, I guess it's one of those things that when people go through it and get to the other side to some degree, right, whether it's a relationship that was fractured and is now no longer so or many other examples of trauma that people overcome. There are benefits to it, but I don't think we can call it, I don't think we can use the terms healthy or unhealthy in and of itself. We'd have to know more about the specific situation. It could be healthy. As one of, of nine, did you, what was, what was that like in practice for, for you? What was, did it graduate to, of emotional and physical abuse be, between the, the siblings, or is this was this concentrated amongst one or two siblings in particular? Tell us a little bit about your your journey. Yeah, my own journey. So uh, it it didn't cross genders uh, in my not in my family and not not personally. But I saw sibling rivalry in my family between some of my sisters and and um, me and one of my brothers. Uh, what's interesting, and I don't know. I'd almost want to have him on here, right, my older brother, and ask him uh, what his experience was because he may not have any idea that this was a sibling rivalry going on for me because I don't feel that towards my younger siblings mm-hmm. and my younger brothers, but one of them may towards me. So I, I wonder if very often it's a maybe in some that get much more intense, it feels like a sibling rivalry that's going both ways but it could have been going totally one way in my case. I was the only one. There was a war going on, but I was the only one fighting. You nailed a couple of really interesting points that came out of some of the pregame research, Ellie. One was while seven in 10 younger uh, siblings report feeling sibling rivalry and tension being an an important part of their growing up, uh, the number is closer to one in 10 for the eldest. So, it's it's really is a a question of vantage point, and and the other one is around gender, and this comes through in some of the the examples in Torah, many examples of sibling rivalry, that um, there is a, an, an abundance of sociological evidence that sibling rivalry is much more prevalent prevalent um, within the same gender, so brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters, and actually most prevalent between sisters. Um, Rabbi Moskowitz, how does that how does that tie into Jewish wisdom. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about the perspective uh, that one person has um, in trying to feel uh, that perhaps the parent might love one of the other siblings more than the other. And, of course, the other siblings might say, what do you mean? You were the favorite. And uh, the the vantage point, I think, is really... um, 
it's like very subjective and it speaks to our own kind of insecurities and, and, and very much part of like the, the human experience. Um, in terms of the gender piece, um, I think we do see distinctions in the Hebrew Bible between, let's say, uh, Leah and Rachel uh, and that dynamic um, as sisters, both where there's a sense of entitlement, but there's also a sense of, of sacrifice for the other. Uh, there's deep sensitivity that uh, Rachel has for her sister. Um, and then Leah really reciprocates in that Leah is having many children very quickly and Rachel is not. And um, there are, um, I think, a lot of things there that are at play, but there does seem to be much more um, of, of an empathic um, kind of emotional space of tension and competition where when it comes to, let's say, um, you know, their husband, Jacob as a father uh, to their to, to his sons, it, it does have a different kind of uh, flavor. One of the, the interesting interpretations that, that modern kind of rabbinic uh, series putting forth is that Jacob really wanted to uh, break the cycle of jealousy by trying to single out uh, Joseph from the very beginning as like a favorite. Because uh, if you remember in the story, in utero, there's this tension between Jacob and his brother, who's going to be the firstborn child uh, in the mystical tradition. One uh, is kind of formed as a fetus first, another one emerges first physically, and then the birth rate is sold, and there's this constant uh, fighting for the blessings. Who's really going to be the chosen one between them? And, of course, you know, it, it gets violent. Esau comes with 400 men. And so part of... Um, I think the lived experience of Jacob having gone through the ambiguity uh, in that sibling rivalry, I think he wanted to name it from the very beginning, meaning there are those who have put forth an argument that, uh, that he was trying to remove a sense of jealousy by saying, the chosen one of my 12 sons is Joseph. Uh, I want everyone to know where they're holding. I don't love you less. It's just there's a different distinction. Um, I think it's an both, interesting read. Both you yeah. and Ali are, are, are seizing on this point of the kind of who's the, who's chosen as a, as, as a favorite. And, and I think that, that there's, there is, there's a lot of psychological, um, grounding to that. There's, there's correlation. Some of the studies that we saw, in fact, in, in, in many of them around the, um, sibling, uh, siblings reporting feeling the tension rather than the love as a prevalent relationship with siblings when they didn't feel like they were the favorite or they didn't perhaps in, in modern in contemporary language feel seen as it were. We're going to take our, our first break here. Uh, we're talking about sibling rivalry in the wake of all this press around uh, Prince Harry's autobiography, which is really focused on that issue, his relationship with his brother, Prince William. We'll get back to, to that a little bit tied into uh, tonight's discussion and also uh, talk more about this issue of jealousy. And, and Elliot is wondering when we come back in the break, if you could talk about how that's fed into the relationship um, with, with siblings that you felt uh, tension or competition with, and particularly the, the brother that, that you alluded to, uh, uh, earlier. If you can participate by sharing your personal stories and perspectives on sibling rivalry and tension and competition and jealousy, resentment, even abuse, if that's part of your experience, please do. And do so by calling if you want to participate live, 718-303-9663. 
718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. It's a sensitive subject. If you prefer to remain anonymous, you want to send in a text, you can, you can name yourself as well, but if you want to send an anonymous question or comment, uh, you can do that as well to a different number. That's to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. I buy text or WhatsApp and you can address that to the group or to Rabbi Mike Moskowitz or Ellie Nash, our guest this evening. We'll be right back. Sometimes it's difficult to program the music for the topics that we cover here on the program. But tonight, and I thought that was going to be true tonight, how many songs are there about sibling rivalry? Well, uh, there are a lot. It's a subject of a lot of pain and anguish and working through of our issues. That's a beautiful song by Rufus Wainwright writing to his sister, Martha, and hoping that they'll heal their divides before they die. Well, switching gears, we have to talk about our sponsors for a moment. We, one of the things that uh, this sponsor does is resonant with the, what this program is about, and that is also diving into the difficult, working through the things that we often are ashamed to talk about, but we need help around. And in the case of this sponsor, Manhattan Medical, that's erectile dysfunction. It's nothing to be ashamed about. It affects around two-thirds of men in their lifetime. It can affect the emotional uh, health of a couple. And there are solutions out there that are available to people that can't use those blue pills. Manhattan Medical utilizes an enduring uh, methodology. It's been around in Europe and Canada for many years. It's called Gaines Wave Therapy. It does not involve pills. It is non-invasive and it is surgery free. It does not have side effects and it works for the vast majority of patients. Manhattan Medical is not just available to patients in Manhattan or in New York, anywhere in the United States. You can get a teleconsult around Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for erectile dysfunction. You owe it to yourself or your partner to have this conversation. You are not alone. If you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's erectile dysfunction therapy on equal footing. You get a free consultation. That is a real value. It's normally $250, but you have to mention you heard about it on the program, and you call 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 for Manhattan Medical's ED therapy in numbers 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Three nine. Call now. We're back on equal footing here with Ellie Nash and Rabbi Mike Moskowitz talking about sibling tension, sibling sibling rivalry. Many people ascribe this primarily to issues around resource competition. Guys, you want to hear a couple of really odd stats? We decide not to do a program tonight with a psychotherapist or a sociologist, but I just have to say this stuff on the air. Um, that until a hundred years ago, it was, you were three times as likely to die as a child under five if you had a close age older sibling. 
So his, and there's a lot of evolutionary biology stuff here going on around how it makes sense for you to compete with your siblings because in a resource constrained world, you might get less maternal nutrition. You might get less parental attention and you literally might die. Now that's not today's reality, but we're arguably kind of wired for this. And I think that Humash kind of admits that or tells us that we're wired for this with the stories of Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau and Joseph's brothers and Rachel and Leah, etc. But the psychotherapy angle focuses a lot on uh, on jealousy and even Freud likened it to the Oedipal complex. I said I was going to talk about Freud before and Freud thinks the root of all conflict is the tension between children and parents. Um, but seems that that uh, Bereshit tells us that it's more between siblings. Ellie, is does jealousy in, encompass it? I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, in any way um, insult you or or say anything that you would take offense at. But were you like jealous of an older sibling? Like, what was the root of of that tension? That's a good question. You know what's uh, what's interesting is that of. Um there, there are difficult subjects that I speak about, which is probably one of the reasons you invited me tonight. I spoke about child sex abuse. I've spoken about my struggle um, with addiction to pornography. And I have to say this one is more difficult than uh, than, than those. Um, but it's difficult in both ways, both to um, express it to myself and to express it to, uh, to the audience. With the jealousy, I think... I would say there was, I would definitely say there was a component of that. Yeah. I think that part of it was, let me just, let's, I'll answer it as yes. If I'm forced to answer between yes and no, I'll answer it as yes and I'll just leave it for a follow-up question. Has it changed? I mean, do you feel at what point, when did it start actually? When did you, when was the first time that you remember feeling jealous or resentful or whatever the, the adjective that would come to mind of your older brother? Wasn't that young. Uh, it was probably more teenage years. Did he... 11, 12, going to teenage years. That's probably when I began feeling it. I think there was a sense of um, freedom that I saw he enjoyed um, from my parents and my family. He was able to do things that I wasn't able to do in some ways mostly personality-based, and um, I wished sometimes that weren't the case. Even though if it weren't the case, it probably would have meant he was as restricted as I was, but my thinking wasn't that as restricted as I felt, but my thinking wasn't that way. It was just, hey, he's able to do those things, and I resented that in some way. It seemed like he had a little bit more freedom than I did. Did that feeling of of awareness of how you were differently situated or feelings of jealousy related to that abate as you got older or did it get worse? I think it changed. It changed from that to, to other things, but one way to, one way I look at it today, you ask the question of healthy versus unhealthy is that were it not for him, there are certain aspects of my personality that I felt could have been accepted as a um, as an identity amongst at least my family, and sometimes in order to have an, like an identity is differentiated from someone else, right. and that some of that I think is where um, 
I have, I have a couple of, I have a large family, and uh, one of my siblings and many nephews and nieces, and there are two brothers I can think of, both very intelligent um, youngsters, right, both under 15. And there's one that's clearly more intelligent and has the personality of someone more intelligent. Not always more intelligent, but he has the personality of someone more intelligent. And the younger one has the identity as someone who's not that smart. Mm. And if he was in any other family, if that brother wasn't around, he'd be considered a very intelligent kid. In school, he's considered intelligent, for example. But that identity can't take root um, in the home. And I think that that's often a big part of it. It's a sense that I can't find myself and it's the other person's fault. You know, there's uh, one of the top observational researchers in the space is this woman named Judith Dunn, who has a lot of research on this. And uh, she talks a lot about being the, the child being seen and that the, that the child that um, doesn't, isn't allowed to, it doesn't get seen for his or her talents tends to uh, be on the wrong end of that sibling rivalry stick. You've talked about being in a war where maybe you're the only one fighting, and that's something that's resonant with, with the research of like, you know, we have one child say, this has been a theme. It's, you know, the, the most traumatic thing of my life. You know, I feel like I'm living in the shadow of my sister or whatever it is. And then you have the elder sister say, I, I never even knew this was going on with you. And this is, this is, this is a common story. And, uh, and it, it also, this issue of being kind of seen or the, the picking favorites also seems to really be in my humble and naive reading rabbi moskowitz seems to be at the core of the bible stories too i mean it's like cain being jealous of abel and the brothers being perhaps jealous of joseph and you know leah being jealous of rachel and Esau being jealous of jacob and in some cases they seem to have good reason to be and in other cases it's it's unclear why god or the parents or whatever has picked that favorite um is the what's the solution to this? What is, what is, what is our tradition? What does Jewish wisdom say? Is this is the the solution um, to making peace with this and getting out of that cycle? If I can interject, I think it's the reverse. Jacob was jealous of Esau. He wanted the firstborn. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think. I think there are a lot of different ways of, of reading that story. Um, I think his identity um, from the very beginning was one of being the firstborn. Um, and Esau, I think, kind of came out of the womb as a winner. That's where the Hebrew word comes, Esau, meaning complete, that he had won. And as a result, he didn't put in any more effort, where Jacob was really one about struggling and wrestling and developing and kind of earning. Um, so I, I think to, to answer the question, which is a really great one, like how do we break the cycle, uh, I'm one of four. Uh, I'm the oldest. I have three younger sisters. I also have four children. And I think being in this perspective of a parent, knowing and appreciating how different my children are, um, and loving them all the same um, has given me, I think, a, a perspective that um, we need, I think, as parents and as educators um, to really instill uh, within our children an awareness of a commonality of individuality. God doesn't put extra people in this world. Nobody has extra children. The idea that somebody could identify as a spare heir 
uh, to the throne, I think, is a massive breakdown uh, in, a, in, a, in, in a family unit. There are no extra people. There are no backup people. No one else can be anybody else. There are no replacement people. Um, and seeing oneself as being not a primary child but some sort of backup child um, is not a Jewish concept. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have spares. Uh, because no one can replace another. Um, and so I think when, when children get that message from a young age, I love you because of who you are, uh, and you're different than your siblings. So then, in fact, just uh, one really powerful insight from uh, the Jerusalem Talmud in the Durham, the verse that says to love another like one loves themselves, at the beginning of that verse is the prohibition of, of taking vengeance. Uh, and the, the Talmud says that if, uh, if a person is chopping vegetables and the right hand accidentally cuts the left hand, does the left hand take the knife to take vengeance and stab the right hand? Of course not, because it sees itself as all being part of the same body. Um, and if somebody inflicts pain, nothing is achieved by hurting another. And so I think when we see ourselves as being in competition and not part of the same humanity, so then there's jealousy and there's vengeance and there can be violence. But if we see each other as part of literally the same family and of part of humanity, so then we're here to support each other and to remove and to protect, you know, the, the potential threats and to, to try to protect each other. So I think that's really how we break the cycle is to, to in, empower people with a sense of their uniqueness, of, um, of their contributions that nobody else can make. And, and the more that people can lean into what makes them different, uh, then they're not trying to compete with each other. And just one other quick proof text on this. When Jacob is blessing all of his sons, there are two sons of the 12 that actually get that get loved together. Uh, Levi, uh, Shimon and Levi, I believe, are the two that are put together because they um, kill Shem with a sword, and as a result, they're denying their own identities because they were trying to be like their uncle Esau. And so the rabbis say that as soon as a person is denying their unique contribution, they're like all the other people who are not being who they're supposed to be. So the more that we can elevate that uniqueness, the more that we can empower people to, to recognize that the differences um, are not in relationship to the other in a negative way, but really can complement each other. Well, we've been speaking. We've got a couple of, of listener comments that have come through. We're going to have to go to a break in a second, but that uh, go to the what we ha- what we're talking about right now. Parents sharing that that they feel that they can reduce um, the rivalry and the opportunity. I'll just read a direct quote: reduce the opportunity for rivalry by refusing to typecast my children. And I think that that's often what the challenge we have as a parent. Like we say, oh, I know that kid and that kid is X. Like Ellie, you were talking about that or how your siblings were typecast and, you know, letting the child really um, become and who they are in front of us and to, um, you know, see them for, for who they are. The, the psychological um, language around this of uh, psychologist a- Alfred Adler, who writes on this topic as well, calls it striving for significance. And that the, so the sibling rivalry, if you see it as healthy, each child is striving for significance in the world. And that's the healthy part. So anyway, we're going to get back to this after the break, um, share a little bit more personally, hopefully, Ellie, on the healing process that you've had as an adult around this painful issue. And we're here with Ellie Nash, entrepreneur and philanthropist, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz, um, and who wrote uh, recently Graceful Masculinity and works as a great advocate on LGBTQ rights and other issues, talking about this painful but necessary topic, sibling tension, sibling, sibling 
rivalry. We'll be right back. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught. We're talking about sibling jealousy, sibling rivalry, tension between brothers and sisters, prevalent issue, often a source of trauma that people have to work out their whole life. Ellie, when did the healing start and is it over for you and your brother? Yeah, as far as the rivalry is concerned, 100%. Yes, from my side... Um, there was something you said just before the break about striving for significance, which um, land, landed strongly with me. Did you want me to get into the healing process? Was that your question? Yeah. What and, that felt and, like for me? And why did striving? Why did that um, term of striving for significance that this psychologist Alfred Adler uses to really get to the root of what he thinks, at least, sibling rivalry is a, is about? Why did how did that resonate with you? Right. It often felt like I was. Uh, I was getting lost, but unseen, or Moscow said, and I, I put that on my brother because I felt like he was being seen in some way. So I put that on him and said, you know, maybe if he wasn't there, I would be seen. Or some of the things that I was doing or having would have meant something had it not been for him. Mm-hmm. In terms of the healing process uh, was, you know, it always starts with awareness. And at a certain point, there was this awareness that um, I was either modeling or rejecting him, which really is just modeling him. Like, they're, they're the same. It felt to me so different. But once I became aware that a lot of my decisions were based on that, am I modeling or rejecting, then that process of finding myself separate and apart from him, I felt like very deep soul-searching into an identity. I actually took a lot of strength from the story of um, Jacob and Asa, which is why I corrected you earlier, because I saw that. I saw that. It was taught to me by Rabbi Yossi Jacobson, who I think you had as a guest on this as well, where he gave an explanation of, Jacob and Asaph's story is Jacob having a certain jealousy of Asaph, where Yaakov comes from the name heel, right? He was grabbing at the heel of Asaph. It also comes from the word fooling. He tricked. He was tricking um, 
Esau for his birthright. And his journey where he wrestled with an angel, and the angel said, you're no longer Jacob, you're now Israel. That's because he, he stepped into his own identity. And, and part of the, the work eventually became nothing to do with my brother. It became about diving into my own identity and finding out who I am independent of him. And I feel like it forced me into that. And that's where I think the healthy aspect of it comes. Like, had it not been for my brother, I may not have been forced to dive into that work of identity of finding myself. Who am I? One of the things that I think is also really interesting about that story is that identities that are not validated and affirmed by others um, often feel invisible and hidden or painful. And there's this really powerful moment when Jacob really dresses up as his brother in order to get a uh, blessing from his father Isaac. And there's this, I think, powerful moment where uh, Isaac, uh, in saying, oh, you're my firstborn son, uh, and, and Jacob really for the first time getting that affirmation from his father of, wow, you're able to see me the way in which I see myself. Uh, and I think there's a powerful moment of validation in that. Um, and I think that these stories do kind of model for us and future generations the working mechanisms of these dynamics, which I think are pretty pretty fixed. And as we can learn the lessons from previous generations, we don't have to kind of make the same mistakes. On this point, there's a, a couple of, of sobering or difficult um data points to, to, to reflect upon. Uh, one, I mentioned this Institute for Family Studies uh, report from last year, which is really comprehensive study on sibling rivalry and, and its effects later in life. Some of them salutary, some of them positive, some of them, many of them negative. Um, but there's a directly inverse correlation between ch- children that do not think they're the favorite of their parents and self-reporting sibling jealousy or sibling rivalry. Or put another way, children that felt like they were the chosen one or one, or one of the chosen kids uh, did not feel like sibling, sibling rivalry or tension has been a negative thing in their lives. While children that did felt that they were not picked as they weren't favorites um, had a very high incidence of reporting sibling rivalry, rivalry and tension as a negative impact on their lives. And, and you, you talk, you were talking about that, um, Ellie, in terms of modeling yourself after, um, the, your brother and another sobering note, it comes from a couple of listeners who are really pushing back at the point you were making about that you made Rabbi Moskowitz around spare before the break, where you said that, that there isn't a, that's not an hour lexicon, or that's not a Jewish idea that any child is a spare. And I got elicited a couple angry responses. Um, one listener says the entire story of siblings within the Bible is all about spares. It's all about children that are unseen or uncared for by God or their parents. And I can see what that yeah, listener is seeing. So help us reconcile those two things. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's ever in the Bible invisible to God. I think that's like at the core of our theology is that God is everywhere all the time and God does not put extra people in this world. Um, yeah, I, I think that maybe they're also suffering from the same kind of breakdown in education and in family structure, but I, there, there is, I think, I mean, this is it's an explicit Gemara. The Talmud says in, that the reason why when God created all of, uh, of the world, there were billions of trees, each according to their species, and billions of fish, and billions of all the different things, but God only made one person, um, because 
right? We are all unique and there aren't different kinds of people. Um, we're all kind of part of this, and each one of us has a unique, you know, portion of the divine that even though God, um, you know, mass produces humanity, uh, each one is, is different. And, and therefore, because we are different as human beings, there is no extra because there is no copy of another. Um, and Ishmael is essential to the Genesis story, so in the mystical tradition, Jacob's uh, brother Esau also is essential. The world would be a different world without these characters, uh, whether it's a counterbalance, whether it's the, the resistance, whether it's the interlocutor dynamic. The, the, the world would not be the same world if even one of these characters was missing. So um, I... I, I, I I, I, and I get, I get that, 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 um, more abstracted, uh, perspective, that kind of metaphysical perspective, but I think the listener has a point that, you know, the, the, it, it, it looks like, I mean, even the story of Cain and Abel, where obviously fratricide is never the answer, um, you know, you right. can kind of understand Cain, Cain's confusion in the story, right? You know, both bring offerings. Why is his offering not appreciated? Um, and so, you know, there is, there's a tough, um, there's a tough point there. And I actually, I, I wanted to read one other listener's, um, sure. uh, comment here that I want to uh, pass by both. You see whether you agree with Gitti. Um, this is Gitti in, in Manhattan who says that she's a psychologist and she says, it's quite simple. Parents can ameliorate the response of sibling ri- rivalry by simply being vigilant to favoritism and by taking appropriate preventative steps in parenting. It's not that complicated. Ellie, do you agree? You're a parent. I, I don't agree. I only, I have one kid. One of the, I don't agree with the, this, this is not complicated, but you guys have, have more kids. Ellie, what do you think? Is it, it's not the, the Gitti says it's not that complicated. I don't know that I, I agree with that. Um, not with, I, I don't agree with what she's saying. I mean, it's definitely complicated. Otherwise, it wouldn't confound as many, um, parents. Maybe she means that it's not that complicated to understand, but Maybe, it's hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, in terms of like favoritism, that that's the only I think from the research that you mentioned, that's the only that didn't drive with me. I did feel like certainly for my mom that I was um, that to say the favorite. You don't have to feel like the favorite when you're one of nine. <laughs> when you know, it could be a few favorites, and that wasn't my experience. It was more related to my brother specifically, not that I wasn't a favorite. I did feel that I felt like my Mother had a special love for me. Mm. Still do. What do you think, Rabbi Moskowitz? Do you agree with with Gitti that it's really being a, being vigilant around favoritism as a parent? Um, I don't think it's about favoritism uh, per se. Um, I think being a parent is really complicated. I think like sometimes it takes decades, if not generations, to find out you know like how successful we really were. Um, you know, we all have a lot of inherited trauma, and it's hard to restore uh, things to be our ideal way of being. So much of it's reactionary in response. Um, I remember when my kids were young, I would ask my, you know, my oldest child, Tehila, you know, why does Tati love you? And I taught her to say, because I'm your Tehila, right? Like, it's actually not conditional, right? Yeah. It's not because you cleaned up your room or you got good grades or somehow if you work harder, you'll be more lovable. I don't think that that's a Jewish concept. Um, you know, the verse says, to you, that we're meant to be holy because God is holy. Mm-hmm. And our worth 
is is intrinsic. We're we are creation of, of of the Almighty. We're Banim Hashem. We're, we're God's children, and uh, that is the most pronounced identity of any human being is being created in the image of the divine. And if we can elevate that in humanity, there's a great some place where it says that uh, God, as a parent, would much rather all of God's children come together and God not be invited than for there to be a family reunion where God's invited, but some of the siblings are excluded. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it means. That from God's perspective, it is greater to invite guests than it is um, to meet the divine presence. And we know that Abraham is speaking to God and then says, God, can you hang tight? There are these guests that need to be, you know, um, invited in. And so that's how we see the world uh, within, you know, the Jewish tradition that um, every mitzvah between us uh, and another person is really a, a mitzvah, it's a commandment between us and God to, to treat others. And that's why we don't have a house anymore. We don't have the God's temple because we can't get along as siblings. And as a result, we can't, you know, we all come from a broken family. But I, but I don't think in that national kind of uh, um, narrative of, of Jewish uh, peoplehood and, and um, that it's a function of favoritism within that. I think it's the opposite. It's that we can't see how God, how each one of us is God's favorite as who we're supposed to be because there's nobody else who is me. Right? Uh, That's what says. This yeah. is fascinating stuff. Yeah. I'm going to make an executive decision here to skip our last uh Ad break, <laughs> go because and we get in trouble with our sponsors because as often happens in the show, it's towards the end where we get really good engagement from uh, listeners. Some really interesting ones here. This is a uh, a listener who I, I'm not going to say his name on here. He's written before, but he's he's, he's not put his name here, so I'm not going to list his name this time. Um, I know I know from previous experience this is a Christian uh, listener um, who says therein lies the appeal of Jesus's message: love one another as brothers. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, it's, am I really my brother's keeper? Which is, I think he added the really there, but he's referring to, uh, right, uh, yeah, Cain's question, uh, on that that's, um, basically saying the opposite. That is a, that's a, that's a interesting one. Um, it, you know, I think often, and it's a, it's a stereotype. I think it's a miscast, but often, um, we, in, in the Jewish faith, it, there is this sense of, um, at least looking out from the outside in, there's a sense of like a either a vengeful God or a God that sometimes isn't fair and so forth. Um, what do you guys both say to this 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 listener? Are, are, are we are we as focused on sibling love as we as we need to be as Jews? Uh, Ali, <laughs> do you want to take that or you want to? <laughs> <laughs> um, we we need to do a better job, not in relationships to any other, not in comparison to any other religion. Um, but I think that that's what's deficient within. Um, there's a lack of unity. There's a lack of togetherness. There's a there's a lack of of uh, a familiar love, and and um, that's something that we have to work on. and something that we need to be, to do better. Um, but that, that has nothing to do with us in relationship to how any other religion does it. Um, you know. It's something that we, as, and it's not limited to, to Jews, that we need to take care of humanity. The idea of being created in the image of the divine is not doesn't is not limited to to, to the Jewish people. It's, Rabbi, I think it's, it, it, it's, it, it's kind of ties into what we were talking earlier about being seen. It's like you know, Joseph is when Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt when they're thirty or whatever, they don't even recognize him. You know, he was seventeen, you know, before, and now he's 
wearing a you know gold chain and he's prime minister and you know speaking through a translator and so forth and there's you know there's i guess the the first step to love is to see each other as as we are and to to kind of recognize each other ellie you never shy away from the tough questions i'm really interested in your response on on this this christian listener because it certainly is an appeal let's let's be let's be frank that kind of really simple way of seeing um I don't know. I don't want to say it incorrectly, but kind of, you know, the the the, the Christian approach or focus on brotherly love. Do you think that this listener's on to something? I think that certainly. Yeah, let, let me answer the question from personal experience. My mom's family is Sephardic. My dad's family is Ashkenaz, and there's certainly a difference between the Sephardic and the Ashkenaz. Um, Tradition in that amongst the Ashkenaz tradition and amongst the Sephardic tradition, everyone's kind of the same to a degree. A little more religious, a little less religious, traditional or not, it kind of feels like one big happy family. And in the Ashkenaz tradition, although I would argue that a lot of it was Christian influence, with all due respect to the listener, that in Christianity it seems like there was a lot of separation in the the Catholicism and Protestant and so many different um, sects within Christianity, and the Jews felt like, hey, why don't we get some of that? Let me get Orthodox, conservative, <laughs> reform. And it seems like separation happened where where there doesn't need to be. Yeah. So in, in a lot of sense, I do agree with the, uh, the, the listener that at least many Jews have adopted a separation where there's yeah. um, no reason to be. So there's yeah, a, I just should get to, it's okay. We have another great little comment here for a, a listener. So, um, this is Sarah who's writing from Minnesota. Um, and kudos to you, Sarah, for sending through like what looks to me quickly on the page, like 20 different examples. Basically her point is that, um, sibling rivalry is not bad, that it in fact teaches us things. And she, uh, sends a list of like, uh, folk tales and fairy tales that are about it, points out that, uh, that most of Shakespeare's plays have like King Lear and Richard the third. And as you like it and so forth are around, um, sibling rivalry. And then in fact, sibling rivalry teaches us. Um, what it is to be wise, what it is to be close to the parents, what it is to be close to the truth, uh, a little bit of a different perspective. And to be fair to you, Sarah, there are psychologists who say that there, that this, in fact, I should have said the outside of the program, the term sibling rivalry doesn't even come about until like 19, early 1940s by a, a researcher at the time named David Levy, um, who was talking about how the responses to new babies that older siblings have when they're born. Um, but you know, it's, it, there is a positive element to it. Is, is there not guys, or maybe even in your case, Ellie, where you're, you know, the modeling could have gotten pathological, but the striving for what you maybe saw as something wonderful in your brother may have driven you to, to greater heights in life. No. Yes. And that's what I shared earlier with, uh, I think the identity work probably would have come at some point during the course of my life. It definitely, um, pushed it many, Several decades earlier, probably. So, yeah, I, I would agree that there is certainly a component that allows for something very healthy and very positive to emerge. What do you think, Rabbi? We've spent some of the program, in a sense, helping people see how they can heal from or move away from sibling rivalry. Do you think that this is something that, in a way, you should lean into? 
I think rivalries and competitions, you know, there's a healthy space for that where a person feels driven uh, and supported and aligned in the, in the process of evolution and maturity uh, and that the rivalry is really like a healthy, you know, competition um, to help advance the cause. Um, but I, I don't think in general rivalries are, mm-hmm. are, are helpful. Uh, I don't know that that's the right mechanism as much as really kind of like, you know, um, being supportive. I think there's something generative, certainly when someone's growing up and, and dealing with issues of, uh, of power dynamics and particularly with older siblings and younger siblings, there's, there's natural inequality there. When a child is not, you know, let's say heard or listened to by adults, um, very often they'll try to, you know, find some sort of dominant space, uh, you know, in trying, trying to be powerful in relationship to those who are even weaker as children and, and as people get older and they become sensitive to those dynamics, I think reflecting on perhaps um, poor decisions of one's youth can be a really healing experience to say, hey, when I was six or seven, like, I was frustrated or angry and I took it out and, like, I feel really bad and, and I'm really sorry. Um, I, think, I think reflecting yeah, it's on it's probably the most are, natural are forum, for sorry for the interruption, for learning and reconciliation. And I want to, we're going to come up on time. I, 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 Yaakov from, from Englewood, I, thank you for this quote, by the way, in response to our discussion on, on favoritism, says I should read this Irma Bombeck quote. My sister and I never engaged in sibling rivalry. Our parents weren't that crazy about either one of us. <laughs> so, little, little humor. Um, we only have about a minute left here. Ellie, is there anything you would like, kind of, in a sense, to, to say? If your brother were listening, what would you say on this, on this subject? Um, to him. So, you know, I was actually thinking to share this story, which um, you're involved in. And at some point in time, um, during one of the more tense moments um, or tense periods between my brother and I, um, I received a message from you, though, where you said, hey, Ellie, I know that there's, you know, some stuff between you and your brother, and I just wanted to share this story with you. And you told me of two brothers who were in disagreement and one of them ended up in a difficult situation. I think he was visiting the U.S. from another country, if I remember, and he may have been arrested for speeding. Mm-hmm. And the person who had called was his brother, who he was in a difficult um, relationship with at the time. And he said, you said to me, I'm not, I don't know the details. I just wanted to share that story with you. These two guys were, were in disagreement, but when he needed him, he called them. And that planted a seed in my head at the time, which definitely led to um, resolution on my part much quicker, which is that despite all of the feelings that we had, that I had towards him and some of the competition that emerged from it, the rivalry that emerged from it, I, that story that you told me reminded me that were I in a pickle, he'd be my first phone call. Amen. Amen. Well, on that note, um, healing from sibling rivalry. Thank you, Ellie Nash. Thank you, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz, for being on the program. I hope you'll be on again soon. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Thank you so much. Pleasure. Take care. I've got you, brother. I've got you, brother. Oh, brother, we go deeper than the ink beneath the skin of our tattoos. 
the same blood, you're my brother 